unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, it is that time of year again as the football season is upon us once again. And it's time now. It's now an annual thing, the UCF Football Roundtable. This is actually our third, although we, we can call it kind of three and a half because we actually did a, a recap of the first one during the beginning of the pandemic because we wanted to give people something to talk about and have some content. But this is our third official one in a row. And uh, I've assembled some of the best people who uh, cover and talk about UCF sports and uh, let's get to it, shall we? We'll introduce the crew in alphabetical order. First up from the sons of UCF, Adam Eaton. Adam, hello. Jeff, I fooled you into having me back another time. I, I continue to fool the algorithm. Fantastic. Thanks for having me back. Hey, no problem. Always a pleasure for you to be here. It's a uh, good magician work on your part uh, for that. Next up, we have who I call the Godfather covering UCF in the digital age from UCFsports.com, Brandon Helwick. Hello, Brandon. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, I always look forward to these. I, I remember that one I think we did in the you know spring of 2020. That was kind of just a surreal kind of one. We were wondering what was going to happen long term, but I know we're not out of it yet, but I'm, I'm thankful and glad we're entering you know somewhat of a more normal season coming up with what will be full capacity. We have, finally have real press conferences again instead of just Zoom, so I am looking forward to that. Outstanding. And uh, next up, uh, one of the gentlemen I like to call one of the hardest working men in show business. Uh, he's been a guest on this show many times, and, uh, and you, often you hear this sound when Eric name drops. So uh, when you hear that sound, you know that Eric has name dropped. Eric Lopez from Black and Gold Banneret. Eric? Uh, always uh, good to be here. I feel like I'm just name dropping with the people around me on this panel right here. Yeah, well, that's uh, awful nice of you to say. And uh, last but not least, we have uh, from the Orlando Sentinel, newly anointed UCF beat writer, Jason Beatty. Jason, welcome back. It's a tradition unlike any other, and uh, I'm happy to represent the Orlando Sentinel now. So yes, it, it's been a great job with Nice 24-7 over the years. And hey, this is kind of like getting a new guy without getting a new guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, let's uh, go roll through the round table. Uh, I'll have a, about five questions that I'll throw out there that uh, we will bounce around and get the opinions of this elite crew on. So we will start off first. How do you compare the buzz and excitement going into this season compared to recent seasons at UCF? Adam, lead it off. I think it's interesting. If you think about the most recent years, the, the buzz has obviously been uh, been heavy and a lot of excitement, right? It's 16 into 17. I think we saw some upward trajectory, 17 to 18. Obviously, we knew where the team was at undefeated, but obviously the, the Frost news was interesting. You know, 19, I think we, we still had some hope. And uh, obviously, we had um, McKenzie injured, but I thought, you know, Dylan Gabriel, uh, Brandon Winbush. So I think there was excitement there. This one's interesting to me, though, because I think there's a lot of excitement. But I think the excitement is because of what's happening off the field. And I think in previous seasons, the excitement what was on the field, right? It was what was coming back. It was the athletes. It was McKenzie. It was, you know, a good true freshman. It was the receiving core. And so I think this year's excitement is different in that it's off the field based because the reality is, again, we're 6-14 and 14 from last season. Uh, we have a, a lot of skill position guys to replace, especially on offense and receiver and running back. So I, so I think the excitement is probably the same, but I think it's for different reasons. And that's a little bit concerning just from one perspective because that, that 
that's a recipe for a letdown if UCF fans let them sort of fall into that trap, right? Because obviously we, we know what we were last year and I think we're, we're banking on a Gus Malzahn staff and a Gus Malzahn team. But the reality is none of us have really seen anything outside of practice clips in a spring game. So I think the excitement is high. I just think it's for different reasons. And I think that's interesting to determine, you know, if UCF fans get too high or too excited, you know, is this going to be a letdown operation if, uh, if things, you know, fall to two or three losses? So I think it's, it's the same, but different, if that makes sense. Brandon, you're next. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I think it's definitely up there in terms of the most anticipated season. Um, you kind of do like, look back through the years, you know, coming after the 2013 Fiesta Bowl year. I think enthusiasm was a little bit muted because Blake Bortles, you know, left early and went to the NFL draft. So you didn't have that kind of buzz of him coming back. I know people were excited that year about, you know, opening the season in Ireland, but, you know, you kind of knew like, you know, this is the quarterback competition. Like this is going to be, <laughs> everyone kind of had some questions about, you know, the team coming back in 2014. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, 2017 going into 2018, I mean, it, it you know, that's probably still the number one in terms of anticipation for this season, but obviously was a little bit muted again because, you know, Frost wasn't there anymore. And you kind of wondered how that transition was going to take place. Um, I, I just shudder at the thought of what the buzz and excitement would be had Danny White not taken Josh Heupel with him uh, to, to Tennessee just because of everything that's happened. I just think the fan base was just kind of in getting into, you know, um, you know, just kind of, you know, the, the apathy, I guess you could say, was setting in a little bit. Um, I think people were just kind of, you know, kind of mailing it in. I know last year was you know, obviously had a big reason to do with that with COVID and, you know, kind of wondering what was going to happen week to week, limited attendance and all that. I kind of think I took a lot out of the fan base. But I just think with Gus and the fresh energy and the recruiting and, and what that can mean for, you know, we'll see what happens with, you know, realignment, what have you. But I, I think all that, and, you know, I know the playoff expansion, I know everyone was all excited about that a couple of months ago or a month ago. And now that kind of looks like that might be on the back burner. That might not be happening as soon as we thought it was going to going to, but, but yeah, I definitely think this is exciting. Now I still think COVID is you know, obviously lingering in the air, you know, that's a terrible pun, but uh, just in terms of, cause you know, we don't have a fan, like things like that would be like awesome. Like if there was, you know, everything was normal. Like I say, you have had a fan day a couple of weeks ago and we would have just kind of, you know, seen for ourselves kind of the excitement, what it looks like before we get to game one. And I'm still kind of wondering what the stands will look like in terms of capacity. I know obviously it's hundred percent capacity, but you know, will people sit it out? Will it really be hundred percent full? I just have a lot of questions about that. So I think everyone is really excited. I just kind of think we need football to get, here to kind of judge to see where it really is. Elo. It's been fascinating because I think Gus, uh, to Brandon's point, has brought some energy here, some enthusiasm. I think this fan base is pretty united on the head coaching situation, which hasn't happened here in a while. I think there was, I think admission, there was some uh, friction on the Hypo camp, pro versus against Hypo camp. Uh, I think what Gus has done since he's arrived here with being available in the spring, I think Jason and Brandon, you can comment on this. They did more media availabilities in the spring with him than I think Josh Heupel did through in his run in spring availability and into fall. Um, so he's been a, he's been made himself out there. People that casual fans have seen him uh, around. And I think that's been refreshing. I think that's been the storyline in this transition with Gus and UCF. And what's fascinating is I think the majority of the national media 
is be pro like this a lot. Like they're rooting for this to work out very well, which is a complete opposite of where we were in 2017, where it seemed like everybody wanted UCF not to succeed. So I've, it's been fascinating the job that he's done here and kind of bringing a lot of positive everybody on the same page here up until kickoff. Jason. Yeah, Eric, Eric just made a really good point about national media. Uh, Brett McMurphy released his poll, his bowl predictions this morning for the preseason. He has UCF in the Fiesta Bowl, even though he didn't vote for them in the pre rank UCF in the preseason uh, his AP poll. But uh, that's really interesting to see how you know. I think Dennis Dodd wrote a really good piece yesterday about Anukas Malzahn and what he's able to bring at UCF. I think the national buzz. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people want to see Gus Malzahn succeed at UCF and that starts this season. Um, you know, locally buzz, there's a lot of interest in, you know, how, how are things are different? Um, you know, we know Dylan Gabriel is coming back and, and what type of season he can he put up? Can he bring the Knights to a, a conference championship? He hasn't been able to do that yet. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, Brandon mentioned COVID obviously last season was, uh, you know, one of the most unique seasons ever, I think. Um, it's, it's exciting. I think fans are ready to, you know, fill the stadium. I think there still might be a little bit of hesitancy, obviously, uh, with the Delta variant out there, but you know, we're at hundred percent capacity. I think, uh, the other day it was 97% some tickets sold out. So I think a lot of people are just excited to just, you know, really get back into a packed stadium and, and we didn't, they didn't get that. They didn't get that last year. So, uh, I think there's a lot of buzz around the program for a lot of different reasons from Gus Malzahn to, you know, stadium being packed to, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel, this this season can be really big for him and, and uh, the expectations nationally and national reputation. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, you know, both of you bringing up the interesting point about Gus Malzahn, you know, when when the coaching search was on, you know, there was, you know, obviously a fraction of the fan base that wants, you know, the you know, we want the next up and comer, we open the next energy guy and, and all that. But, you know, if we if we don't hire Gus Malzahn, we we're probably not getting the buzz that we're getting nationally. So he brought all that credibility with him. And I, I think that is a big step uh, f as far as that goes. And I think, you know, just something fresh and new, you know, because we had, you know, not to say, you know, UCF football was boring because UCF fast is fun to watch, but uh, you know, Josh Heupel had tendencies to get stuck in a rut and, and, and whatnot on, on play calling. So, It'll be interesting to see uh, how that uh, how that transpires. So that kind of leads can, us into our next question. Is can I what jump you, in a yeah, please. I just, want, I just want to make a comment. I just I didn't want to interrupt you, but just that was a really great point by Jason about national media being on board with Gus. I just wanted to say something really quick. That's why Luke Fickle in Cincinnati gets all this positive buzz for absolutely. Years. Is because it's the national media likes Luke. It's whether it's Pete Thamel or Pat Forty. They dealt with him when he was at Ohio State, and that's something that UCF didn't have. You mentioned Dennis Dodd earlier. He hated George O'Leary. All those national media guys hated George O'Leary. Okay, Scott Frost comes in. He has a terrible personality. He is like talking to you know. He's it's who's awful. And if you didn't think someone could have a worse personality, at least with media, Hypo was probably even worse. <laughs> all those national media guys had zero relationship with the UCF head coach. They didn't really like them or just, they didn't have a personality. And that's, that's why you're seeing Gus, why that move has been embraced by those guys. And, and maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. And maybe UCF will get the Cincinnati treatment, so to speak. And that will, you know, 
that'll lead with, you know, AP writers and stuff, giving UCF more love, because I think, you know, I think, I think those people kind of hate UCF fans, but they also didn't like the UCF head coaches and I'm done. Go to our next question. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, real quick, I think that's accurate in the standpoint. I think the UCF coaches of the past didn't help the matters. They didn't make themselves available. Gus has made himself available in the national media. Gus was on with Paul Feinbaum when he got hired. He's been on different things. He did a, they did a feature on all these different national sites. And I do think that's a part of college football. You know, we just had Bobby Bowden pass. He was the master of being available, accessible, and promoting the program. And UCF really hasn't had that. Danny White, really, you could argue, had been the promoter. Now, you notice, I think Gus is now the guy. He knows that's part of his responsibilities, which is ironic because a lot of people at Auburn didn't see him that way. But I think he's done a good job with the national media because he's used to dealing with the national media from his Auburn days. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, uh, Brandon now will be our official scorekeeper of which media members hate which UCF coaches. <laughs> um, so let's uh, look at the offense. What do you look forward to seeing on the offense? Uh, and, and Adam, you mentioned that uh, you know we've got some uh, replacing to do at the skill positions, receiver and running back. What do you expect to see, Adam? I'm going to take the easy answer here. I'm going to go Dylan Gabriel. And and here's why. I think, you know, someone mentioned earlier, he, he has yet to win a conference title at UCF. He's he's 0-2 against Cincinnati. Uh, he's 0-1 against Memphis. Obviously, he's 0-2 against Tulsa. You know, he, he's had his ups and downs. But the reality is he he stuffed the stat sheet every year under Heupel. And, and I'm not saying Heupel's offense was easy because I'm not a football player. But, you know, we've talked to a couple of different guys on the on the team who said basically he had a, he had a one-side read. And if that wasn't there, then, then throw it away, check it down, run it out, do whatever. So can he adjust to a new style of offense can he do checkdowns can he play under center can he take the the three yard gain you know can he can he find the tight end over the middle can he you know can he do some of those things we know he has a fantastic deep ball but obviously can he develop into sort of a I don't want to say a, a full quarterback, right? Because I don't, I don't mean to knock him that way. But I think there are things that Gus is going to ask him to do that he wasn't able or didn't have to do under the Hypel offense. Can he adjust to that? Will he be comfortable with that? You know, will that be something that's natural or will there be growing pain? So I think his maturation as a quarterback is going to be fascinating because I don't, I don't know if we're going to see the 32-29 TD seasons again. I don't know if we're going to get that way. And you may look at that and go, oh, my goodness, he had a terrible year. But the reality is he may play better for what this team needs. So I, I think it's his adjustment to that let it fly style offense that Heupel had. Can he do the smart things, the reads, the checkdowns? You know, can he take the three yards? Will he be able to do those things? I think he can, but to, to be fair, we haven't seen it yet. So how does he sort of develop in year three under the Gus Malzahn offense? Because let's face it, if he has NFL aspirations, you know, he, he's going to need to pick up some of the some of the nuances of the quarterback position. I would argue that perhaps uh, he didn't get some of those under Heupel. So, you know, this is a, this is a big year for Dylan. And as he goes, we go. Brandon. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And, you know, it would be easy to say, hey, I want to see how running back's going to look. I've seen some questions there. But, but one thing I'm really interested to see with the offense is how they go about, you know, uh, scoring, pace, all that stuff. And, and I'll be curious to see how the fan base reacts because, you know, a lot of people kind of, you know, moan about Hypo's offense after a while. But you can't argue with the numbers. Like, they were, they were producing. Look at the stats, getting the country and offense, the points. I think – this offense under Gus, they can go fast when they want to, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the production just because he's not hypo. Um, you know, and and you could obviously argue, you know, with you know valid points that hypo's offense put the defense at a disadvantage. 
this is it's going to be a symbiotic relationship, obviously, between Gus and T. Will and and you know doing you know what you need to do on offense, but not putting the defense at a disadvantage. So when UCF wins games, say like thirty-one to fourteen or you know twenty-eight to seven, which I think is is going to be reality. Uh, for how this team is set up. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how the fan base reacts. Like, hey, what happened to the offense? How come we're not scoring, you know, 50, 60 points a game? What happened to that, you know, 700 yards a game stuff? So I'll be kind of curious to see how people kind of adjust because the Gus offense, while they can go hurry up and go fast when they want, it's not going to be anything that we've, like we've seen under Hypel and, and probably not Frost either. So I'm kind of curious to see how the fan base reacts after kind of being, you know, seeing what they've seen the past three, four years and and how it might be a little bit different under Gus. Elo. Yeah, I'm intrigued. It's kind of piggyback on Brandon. Obviously, I think with Gus, I think it's going to be an offense that's going to help the defense better. But for that to be the case is the running game. And if you follow Gus at Auburn, they've always had great running games when they've had great teams like Trey Mason when the year they played for the national title, most recently carry on Johnson. Who's going to be that guy? for UCF is to me the offense that I'm looking forward to seeing this is a team that's been hit in the backfield this uh fall camp uh RJ Harvey out for the year as Jason broke that story uh recently you mentioned obviously Batavius Thompson no longer with the team so who's it gonna be is it gonna be Isaiah Bowser who's the transfer out of Northwestern you know we had Philip Rossman Reich who's a Northwestern alum talk about Bowser and his style and he said he would have an impact uh you know from his deal but is it gonna be him is it gonna be Mark Anthony Richards to have that role is it gonna be Johnny Richardson uh I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how that backfield because I think Gus is not a guy that wants to just air it out 40 50 times there's a balance there and I think he wants to play physical football running game and not only yes he wants to go fast but if he has to slow down and get some first downs he wanted to lean on that running game and I think that's one of the kind of things that failed in the hypo era was if you took away their big plays, you saw a lot of three and outs. They got off the field quickly, and the defense was kind of left out to dry. I think Gus is trying to avoid that, but he needs a solid running game. I'm curious if there's a running back that kind of stands out and takes that load, takes that Trey Mason, carry on Johnson role, or is it going to be by committee? Jason? You know what you need to have a great running game? A great offensive line. So obviously I want to see Dylan Gabriel and obviously I want to see the pace and obviously I want to see the running back and Jalen Robinson, all that. I want to see the offensive line prove everyone wrong because they're returning a lot of guys and they have a really experienced group, probably the most experienced offensive line UCF has had in a few seasons. Um, and, and, you know, maybe just because everyone's returning doesn't mean they're going to be this stellar offensive line because at times they weren't just because everyone's returning doesn't mean they're going to automatically be good. Yes, they have the chemistry, and yes, they have the cohesion, uh, but they were questionable last time, uh, last year. You know, obviously, we knew that Matt Lee had a couple issues with, you know, false starts. We all remember that game last season when that went down. We obviously saw how he went on to have a good season and eventually uh, win some accolades at the end of the year. Uh, you know, Cole Schneider's on a few preseason watch lists for best offensive lineman or best lineman. Uh, you know, Sam Jackson's been here for a long time. There's a couple of young guys, and we see Marcus Tatum. Marcus Tatum appears to, uh, you know, secure that left tackle spot, perhaps. And I know Brett Bell's in the mix there as well. But uh, I'm really curious to see this offensive line performance. And I feel like, you know, I guess everyone has to. I know. I feel like we all say the defense has to prove themselves, and maybe they have a, a chip on their shoulder after last year. I feel like the offensive line, you know, maybe it's not the biggest story, and I think they'll be fine. And 
regardless, Dylan Gabriel's back there throwing the ball. So, you know, he's going to get the ball real quick. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that offensive line performs. Yeah, that's a great point you make about Matt Lee. You see, see what he, how he started the season and how he finished. You know, that, that was a, definitely a, a great testimony to him on that. And I kind of like uh, agree with Adam, too, on the on the Dylan Gabriel front. You know, it, it would be nice to see, you know, that next step in the, the maturation process, you know, because, you know, the tight games with Cincinnati, you know, he had his struggles and it'd be good to see, you know, how is he going to, you know, overcome that, those tense moments and, uh, and take that next step as a, as a quarterback. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. This was a unit that was uh, uh, just a pretty much a, a, a big disappointment last year. Uh, ravaged by injuries, players kicked off the team. It was a tough situation for the D overall. Adam, what do you see uh, this season? Yeah, I think it all hinges on the back seven. What do we have in the back seven and, and who's going to be able to step up and be a playmaker back there? Obviously, you mentioned it, Jeff, we're missing a lot of guys, you know, uh, to uh, borrow Rick Pitino phrase, Richie Grant's not walking through that door, right? So who's who do we have replacing these guys? Devon Wilson seems like he's a name that we're hearing a lot about. Uh, the corners, uh, Devontae Brown's getting a lot of a lot of mentions at press conferences, which obviously is sometimes a, a tip or a tell from a coach. Uh, we know Corey Thornton's getting a couple of tips. I, I, think, I think it was Jason today asked, uh, asked Gus, about, about the cornerbacks and what he thought from that perspective. So what do we have in that back seven and the linebackers? I mean, I think we can say it's fair that they were somewhat underwhelming last year. Now, some of that could be a function of scheme. Some of that could be a function of, you know, the uh, they weren't able to, to key off the D line and then put them out of position. But Eric Gilliard's been here for a long time at this point already. Uh, we know what we have in Baptiste. We know what we have in Bethune. You know, can who are these guys is going to step up and be that guy in that back seven? Is it Devod Wilson? We have Bryson Armstrong, the, the transfer from Kennesaw State. I saw Coach just seem to be high in him, but maybe there's some talk about what he does for us. But I mean, that's a kid who um, I know Jason, Eric, you guys are basketball guys, right? And basketball, there's a term when someone's a pure scorer, we call them a bucket, right? You know, so-and-so is a bucket. Well, Bryson Armstrong's a tackle, right? I mean, he just, he just tackles people. He had 314 tackles in his time at Kennesaw State. So what does he bring to that team? Obviously, he's a smaller guy. So I think as that back seven goes, that's how UCF goes. And will the front four, who I think we all can agree that we feel like is going to be a strength of this defense, can they provide enough cover? Can they get to the quarterback? Can they just disrupt, you know, and get guys out of the pocket to put the secondary in positions to be successful. But I think we go as far as that back seven's willing to take us. And I'm really curious to see who's the one or two guys that step up and become that that next leader, that Richie Grant, that that Titus Davis type of a guy that we've relied on for all these past seasons. Brandon? Yeah, um, you know, uh, Adam obviously put it uh, put it uh, great uh, points made up by him. I, I'm I'm still anxious, you know, instead of repeating what he said about the, the secondary because I agree wholeheartedly with everything he had to say. I'm still anxious to see how that front four is going to look. Um, it's just amazing when we talk about, you know, and there were reasons for that last year. How it was, you know, arguably the greatest weakness uh, on defense, and, and a lot of people believe it could become uh, this year. It could be the greatest strength. You know, when you add uh, Kalia Davis, uh, you know, back from opt out, you know, Ricky Barber, Big Cat Bryant, guys that from all expectations, I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, both those guys should start. So you're adding experienced guys that have started before and the depth is there. Uh, knock on wood. We think everyone's healthy. Um, you know, heard a lot of great things about Big Cat and what he could do. And obviously, if, if people kind of heard, what he had to say at the media day a few weeks ago, you know, he obviously has very high uh, aspirations and goals for his season. Uh, calling himself that he's like the best defensive player in America. So he's got something to prove. I think he feels 
you know, snubbed a little bit, you know, by, you know, for his NFL scouts and not really getting, you know, a real strong look there. So I know obviously he went to end his career, you know, dominating and, and, and getting that NFL opportunity. So uh, if that front four is as good as some of the hype is, and you know, who knows, no one's really seen the full practice other than a handful of people at this point and, and how, how they do in the games is really what matters. But if, if, if the hype is to, to be believed, um, you know, as long as they can get the, you know, that, that secondary kind of short up with some inexperience, uh, I think this has a chance to be, I think they were 123rd in the nation last year. I, I think this could be maybe a top, top 50 defense. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I think we're going to see massive improvement on that side of the ball. Eric. I think both of them nailed it. I'm looking at the defensive coordinator, Travis Williams. And I think that's a big key in this. You know, I've heard a lot of the players when they've been available in the media, if you listen closely, some of the comments they made, I think Jason and Brandon, they've been there every day talking about how on this scheme, they feel they're not out of place, that they've they've learned not to be out of position like in the past, which is to me was kind of a shade at Randy Shannon and his scheme. And it's kind of accurate, especially with the linebackers. A lot of times they were out of position. They got exposed. I think we're going to find out here how much of the issues on the defensive side of the ball last year was talent and how much of it was just coaching. And it seems like these guys have bought into Travis Williams. There's a lot of people that believe this guy is going to be a star, could be a future head coach. Uh, people maybe compared to what Cincinnati had in coach Freeman under Luke fickle when he, before he moved on, I think this guy could make a big difference defensively. It might be similar to what we saw UCF from 15 to 16, where you had a new staff come in and you could just sense the improvement just because they had a different voice, maybe they had a different scheme. A, a guy like Shaquem Griffin, for example, benefited from a different scheme at UCF. Uh, I think you're going to see similar things here potentially from the defensive side. And if Brandon's right about the defensive line, that will help the secondary offset some of the question marks that Adam has. And obviously, in particular, Richie Grant not being there, arguably the greatest defensive back ever, considering he was a Jim Thorpe finalist. But I'm fascinated to see Travis Williams and his schemes on a weekly basis and see what kind of adjustments he makes. I think we don't have to worry about, oh, second half, you know, Travis, like we had to call second half Randy in the past. <laughs> Jason. Oh, I want second half too, Will. I want a whole, <laughs> I want a whole game too, Will. No, I think, uh, you know, Brandon, when we were talking about offense, Brandon made a really good point about how we may, I mean, I still think you're going to see a pretty up-tempo offense. Maybe it won't be a foot on the gas all the time. And if that's the case, and if, you know, if things are a little different, um, I'll be curious to see how the defense reacts to that. Cause we hear, we heard it from, I think a few players have mentioned it, maybe even going back to the spring when we're asking them over and over again, what's different, what's different, what's different, or what's better, you know? Uh, and, and if, if things are, you know, not necessarily completes, you know, totally slow down, but a little bit slower, maybe they don't have to, you know, fake an injury on the offensive line when the team's kicking an extra point <laughs> to give the <laughs> to give the defense a lot of rest. Uh, if that's not the case, and they're going a little bit more maybe uh, you know schematical of the you know in terms of the offense and the pace they use, I'll be curious to see how the defense reacts to that, and maybe hear some of the players' reactions. And you know, if they're not being asked to go over and over and over again and be on the field so quickly for so long, and then the offense goes out there for thirty seconds. Uh, maybe the maybe the offense, uh, you know, in, in terms of everything we've already talked about, the defensive line and the questions at secondary and Travis Williams, new scheme, combine that with the fact that the offense won't be necessarily 100 times slower, but maybe even half slower at a half speed 
or even a quarter, you know, how does that help the defense performance and, and that depth and that rotation they got going on? So we'll see. I'll, I'll be curious. Yeah. And, you know, I look at it from, from that aspect, you know, you know, with the secondary and you want, wanting to see some improvement out of there, I think they'll be more improved with a with a better pass rush. And I, I think we're poised to be able to get after the quarterback and uh, get our secondary back to, uh, uh, you know, getting turnovers and making big plays. And, you know, mentioning the fact, you know, that they were so poor on defense last year. If you look at it this way, if they're 50% better, they're going to go a long way. <laughs> so that's a, that's a definitely a, would be a step in the right direction. Next question. Which player or players are you most looking forward to watching this season? Adam? Yeah, I'm going to go to a name I said earlier. I'm going to go Devontae Brown, the cornerback, 6'2", 185, a physical kid. Uh, we saw him in the spring game. I think he chased down Johnny Richardson on, on a long pass. Again, he's a name that coaches have, have used a bunch. Uh, you know, again, I try to gauge some of uh, what's happening by where the, the coaches put them. He was a participant in the UCF Media Day. I don't think that's by accident. Uh, so I, I think he's a name to watch because it's, you know, we definitely have, we've enjoyed a couple of years of having good lockdown corners and, and guys that we, we can count on out there. Mike Hughes comes to mind. Take Gowan for his brief stint with UCF was, was serviceable out there, you know, having those lockdown corners really makes your defense a lot easier. You know, can Devontae develop into that? Um, and even the way they're coaching the secondary is interesting. He's got a corners back coach and a secondary coach and David Gibbs and Addison Williams. So he's, he's getting coached up a bunch back there. So can he make that step? Can he be that sort of next great cover corner from a defensive standpoint on offense? Eric mentioned this earlier, and I think there's an X factor. Um, I'm curious to see how, and if Gus uses Johnny Richardson, you know, does there are there special packages for Johnny Richardson? Obviously we know last year he, he kind of got in the hype doghouse after the fumble against Tulsa and he was he was on milk cartons after that but seems like he's got a new lease on life under Gus seems like there's a, you know there's there's packages I think that he can be featured in you know he's, he's a great change of pace I mean Bowser's a, a large human being Johnny's a, a way different change of pace so can we use that to our advantage we know the I, I don't even know and, and maybe you know Brandon and, and, and Jason are there more often to see I don't I don't know if he's as fast as he is shifty like I don't know what his straight line speed is but he seems like he's more of a shifty runner um, and so he brings a, a dynamic kind of a wrinkle to the offense Offense. So, you know, what role does Gus design for him? Can he be kind of an X factor on offense? Can he play, you know, a bit of a, a pivotal role from that standpoint? So I think Devontae Brown, I'm curious to see if he's our next lockdown corner and, uh, and how does, how does Gus get creative with Johnny Richardson? Brandon. Yeah, uh, just to kind of pick out a player on both sides on, on defense, I'm really curious to see Bryson Armstrong, uh, the grad transfer from Kennesaw stage, just kind of see how, he transitions to this level. Uh, if you just kind of look at, at his background and what he was able to do at the FCS level, I mean, he was a superstar uh, right out of the gate. He was, uh, I think they call it the Jerry Rice National Player of the Year. As a, They give that to the best freshman at FCS football. He got that award as a freshman at Kennesaw. And, you know, they have a, a relatively young program there, but he owns every record in the book, every defensive record you could pretty much have, you know, he has it. And, uh, and so, I mean, it just heard me you know, a lot of buzz about him. You know, he's only been here since the summer, but, you know, he's a hard hitter. He's kind of like a headhunter guy, you know, he finds the ball. He's, he's a sure tackler. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, how he, you know, will fit into to this defense. I know they said they've been, you know, and he played linebacker at Kennesaw, but he's been moving around. We, you know, we see our, you know, our 10-minute viewing period, you know, at practice, which isn't much. Okay, we really don't see real practice. We usually just see the guys going through individual drills. He's, he's been with the defensive backs and the safeties uh, in, in the periods that we were able to see. So it looks like, you know, he may be, uh, you know, 
maybe contributing at that position, not necessarily a linebacker. So for all the awesome stats he had at, at the FCS level, I'm curious to see how that translates to this level. And when we talk about offense, um, you know, I just kind of think, you know, everyone looks at wide receiver and, and what UCF is going to do there or how that's going to shake out. Cause obviously you lose Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon, Jacob Harris. So there's a lot of question marks of who's going to be the guy. And everyone's kind of talking about Jalen Robinson flash, Obviously, had a great, you know, kind of debut season for UCF last year after he had to sit out the previous year. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, one guy I've been hearing a lot about is Ryan O'Keefe. You know, he's been here, you know, a few years now. Everyone remembers that game at Memphis uh, last year. What was it, like 95 yards or something? You know, basically a screen pass. Took it all the way to the house for a touchdown. I've heard a lot of great things about him. And, and you know, it's not it's not the same comparison, but it's kind of like, yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, we look at Marlon Williams last year. I know he got a really good uh, into uh, 2019, but a lot of people just assume that, you know, it would be Trey, Trey Nixon, you know, would kind of step up. Obviously, he got hurt, you know, early in the season, so that wasn't able to happen. But, yeah, I just kind of wonder if, if maybe it won't necessarily be Jalen Robinson that's kind of – the main guy, but Ryan O'Keefe, just, you know, some buzz and some things I'm hearing. So just kind of curious, you know, just beyond that, you know, how, what, else, what else happens at receiver? Because there are some question marks there if he's going to step up. So I, I am kind of curious to see how he's matured and how he may take advantage of uh, playing in this offense. Elo. Yeah, I, I'm with uh, – I'm curious about two guys. Brandon Johnson, who is a captain, named the captain. He just got here, transferred from Tennessee – I'm curious about him. That's amazing to me when a guy that just got here as a transfer from Tennessee is voted as a captain. Uh, and I'm curious to see what he brings to the table. I, I agree with Brandon about Ryan O'Keefe and Jalen Robbins, but I'm just as intrigued by Brandon Johnson. Uh, for those that don't know, his dad is Charles Johnson, the former Marlins catcher that helped the, lead the Marlins to a World Series title in 1997, including beating that, that Atlanta team. Do you remember that one, Jeff? I don't know. I think that's who it would be. Um, but I'm curious to see how he kind of fits into this role. Think that was more like a, trying to jab Jeffers Braves Marlins trash talk. But um, <laughs> I'm curious about Brandon, and I'm curious about Jake Hescock. And will we actually use the tight end position? Uh, I think that's the thing with Gus. I'm curious if he uses the tight end more. He kind of did it a little bit at Auburn. We'll see if he does here. Uh, if so, I'm curious with Jake, Jake Hescock. Could he be a breakout guy here from that position that we haven't seen really since maybe? What Jordan Aiken, I guess, uh, from as far as a true tight end. Although Aiken was kind of moved from receiver to tight end as well, so I don't know. I'm very curious about Brandon Johnson and Jake Hescock and what they bring to this team, uh, especially with Brandon being a captain named. I'm really tr- intrigued by that. Jason, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everyone that has said these names. I think there's some really you know talented players along with some really interesting transfers. Uh, defensively, one of those guys, Ricky Barber. Uh, you know, I think a lot of attention was made to the fact that, oh, look at all these Auburn players transferring to UCF. But Ricky Barber seems like an absolute steal with that Western Kentucky connection with uh, Coach Kenny Martin, who coached there before and recruited him to Western Kentucky. And, uh, you know, he was a 2020 freshman All-American by the Football Writers Association. And, uh, you know, he I know it was Conference USA, so maybe the competition's a little different. But, um, you know, he, he has a really good opportunity maybe to – you know, get on the defensive line. We've heard so much about it and, and be in that rotation of guys that cause, that cause havoc for other teams. And, um, you know, you look at the transfers and he's a really intriguing guy and he's a young guy too. That's what I've heard that he's a lot younger than people expected him to be. And um, I'll be curious to see how, what he can do and what he can contribute on defense. And then offensively, 
you know, I think Ryan O'Keefe, you know, Brandon mentioned him and, and I guess a breakout year. Can you have a breakout year if you scored a 93-yard touchdown, I guess? Uh, I mean, people know who he is, and he can have a breakout year. I get that. And he says he wants to go over, over 1,000, but we know about him. I think a guy that who's been at UCF for – I mean, he's a junior, Amari Johnson out of Carroll City down in Miami. He's been here for three years. This is his third year. Uh, he hasn't done a whole lot. I, and maybe he's not that you know number one, number two, number even three guy, maybe that third or fourth option at wide receiver. Uh, but, you know, I'll be curious to see what he can do. He's been here for a while and he's gotten some opportunities and here and there catching a couple passes and going on special teams. So maybe he's not, uh, you know, just the star receiver or, or anything like that. But I think he's a name to watch out for and could be in the mix of receiver. And uh, I think that would be a true breakout breakout if he can do something. Of course, playing behind Jalen and Brandon Johnson and Jordan Johnson and, you know, all the all the receivers that we've already talked about and Ryan O'Keefe, obviously, as well. But I'm um, just going with a different name. They'll say Amari Johnson on offense. You know, when I look at the, you know, you guys mentioned Ryan O'Keefe, and, and is this going to be a similar situation? You know, we kept hearing, you know, about Marlon Williams, you know, being the next potential breakout. And, 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 and when his turn came, boy, did he deliver. Uh, you know, could that be the same situation for Ryan O'Keefe? Now, my pick on offense was Jalen Robinson, uh, just because he is the most experienced guy with Dylan Gabriel. And, you know, he came in uh, last year and and he was as advertised. And I think, he, you know, expanding upon that experience and being that uh, big home run hitter, which, you know, we still are going to want to want to see. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a big play there. And then uh, on defense, it is obvious to say Big Cat Bryant, but I I like guys that 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 have the motor and I like guys that that will that will get after the quarterback and I just sense that he's going to be the kind of guy that is going to really drive that defense and and and, and make it much better for this season. So, let's talk about the season. What is your prediction on the outcome of the year? How many wins and will what will be considered a successful season? Adam yeah, I think uh, with apologies to UCF Mike, who, who picks uh, UCF 15-0 every year on the show, <laughs> I, I think there's at least one loss on this schedule. And I don't think it's Cincinnati. I think UCF has been waiting for this game for a long time. I think this is why Gus is here. I think Dylan has something to prove. You know, I think even though we, you know, they certainly, they clearly were the better team last year, uh, and then they clearly got the jump on us the year prior. I think Gus is here for this. I think the team is up for this challenge. So I think there's a loss here, but I don't think it's Cincinnati. The two games that I'm looking at is, is the first one, boys. Right, because it's the it's the opening game. It's a new scheme, a new offense. Uh, Andy Avalos on defense. We know he likes to get exotic. You don't know what you have in your players yet. That first game is always a weird kind of thing, right? What you don't know what to expect. And Boise is definitely not a cupcake when you think about uh, um, teams coming in. So I think that Boise games can certainly be sneaky. And then later in the year, we're going to SMU, and and obviously SMU's quarterback situation is still, I think, a little bit to be decided. But they've brought in a ton of talent. I'm not I'm not sure if you know they're on the the McDonald's bag Tennessee program, but they're brought in a ton of talent down to SMU. Uh, we're going there. It's obviously, you know, towards the end of the season. Um, so that, that could be a potential letdown game. So I think there's at least one loss on the schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if there's two losses. I, I think if, if Gus... I think Gus can lose three games and and be okay. I think he'll get a little bit of a pass if he loses three. Um, so, but I, I don't I don't necessarily see three. So give me one, and if you have to twist uh, twist my arm, maybe two. Brandon, yeah, you know I, I generally agree. 
with Adam, you know, in terms of, of looking at this season, uh, you know, it's just, it's really hard. I, I you know, I, I think every other year I kind of feel more confident at, at how I kind of foresee things, you know, whether, you know, whether you're right or wrong, you know, is another story, but you feel like, you know, a lot more. And there's so much, I just feel like I don't know about this team. I don't really know what this Gus offense is going to look like. I am reassured by the fact that UCF has Dylan Gabriel, who, you know, is going to, you know, is arguably one of the best co- quarterbacks in, in, in college football. I am reassured that the offensive line has experience. I'm I'm kind of uncertain about running back and just, you know, with the maybe uh, some depth and obviously losing R.J. Harvey and Matavis Thompson isn't a good thing. So I, I'm just kind of curious. I just I just don't really know. And then you look at defense. I feel I feel confident that, that the defense will be better than it was last year. You know, but you don't know about the secondary. It's just, I just—it's kind of you know putting me on the spot here. I, I generally agree uh, that I—I I, I think you know this may be a ten and two, nine and three type year. Um, I think what will be a successful season is just to be in the conference hunt, uh, to be in the conference race late in, late in the season. I think you know, obviously, you know, winning it is obviously the goal and would be great. But I think after UCF has kind of taken a step back the last couple of years and, and, you know, last year, you know, losing early to Tulsa year before that kind of that game at Tulsa. So late in the year, UCF was pretty much out of it for the, for the conference race. And that was kind of a real buzzkill for the program. I just think if UCF is in the conference race late in the year, that will be a success relative to where they were the last couple of years at, uh, with Hypel. Um, just, yeah, there's some challenging games in there. It's, you know, obviously got to get, if you're UCF, got to get off to a good start with Boise. That's a tough game. You know, I, I think UCF's going to pull that one out. I don't think Boise's going to uh, really know where they're stepping into, you know, coming from, you know, uh, even though it's been hot up in their neck of the woods, but, you know, the humidity and the heat and all that stuff they're going to going to walk, walk into next Thursday night. But obviously got to go on the road to Louisville and, you know, Cincinnati and, you know, that SMU game is a dangerous game late in the season. So, you know, we'll see. I I, I think it's going to be a 9-3, and 10-2 and two type year. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. But as long as UCF's in the conference hunt, I think the year will be a success. Eric? It feels like a transitional year. Still some youth. There's questions. It could turn out to be great. It may not. The schedule is not easy. I would argue, especially from a conference standpoint, this might be the hardest schedule UCF's had in a long time when you consider the fact they got to go to Cincinnati, got to go to SMU in November, got to go to Navy. And if, you know, playing that scheme that Navy does with the triple option, if they find a quarterback, that's not going to be an easy game. That's a tough place to play. You look at UCF, look at that stretch. You open with Boise State, who always plays well in openers in big games. You go to Louisville, who's, there's a lot of pressure there to turn things around over there at Louisville with their head coach because he interviewed for South Carolina. So there's some pressure there to him to kind of, Satterfield to kind of turn things around over there. But that's not an easy place over there but then you're at you know you start out conference play at navy you got ecu who you know mike houston's putting up guys improving uh on that october 9th week and then oh by the way you got to go that big one in cincinnati which is going to be hyped it's going to be circled uh depending on how both teams are that could be a marquee primetime game and then you got a short week and play memphis i think we're going to know where this team is from a conference title race after october 22nd 
I'm with both of these guys, uh, both Adam and Brandon. I think this is a two to three loss season. One of the things we haven't discussed that worries me is the kicking game. And it's never good when the only thing I can think of of the kicking game, I keep thinking about that video clip on social media of Gus Malzone yelling at Arbarski and saying, you know, I'm going to go for it on four down, fourth downs because of kicks like you or something paraphrasing like that. <laughs> that worries me because close games a lot of times are going to be decided by special teams is ucf going to have some plays special teams uh, and have some big plays we haven't seen that recently as well so i feel like this is a transitional year i hope fans understand that and that they don't flip out i mean they probably will when they lose a game if they lose a game but i think this is a tough schedule man with a lot of new pieces and new schemes i just wonder if we're going to get off to a slow start in the first half hopefully by the end of the year you feel really good about next year jason just to set the record, uh, he said because of crap like that. So he didn't necessarily his kicks or I mean, we don't know exactly why he said that. I just want to give Daniel Broski the benefit of the doubt. It's not because of his kicking. It's because of something else. But, you know, we all agree kicking is definitely questionable at best. Um, yeah, I mean, I think going undefeated in year one is not easy. Uh, you know, this is a six and four team last season and obviously different staff, different situation, better season. I think the biggest thing is. You had a real spring. You had true summer workouts. Um, and those two things combined from a conditioning standpoint, from a you know physicality standpoint, I think that adds a couple wins right in there. Uh, from a preparation standpoint, you get a full fall camp and all that. That, that goes into that. Um, you know, I, I, Boise State, tough game Thursday night. Uh, a lot of eyeballs will be on that one. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a really tough opening uh, just because I think what's really intriguing about that is both teams have – new head coach and, and uh, there's, you know, you can't just go back and expect the same thing from last season. You know, some things will be similar. Sure. But um, you know, I, I feel like UCF finds a way to win that game. So um, realistically, I think Cincinnati, I don't see them winning that game on the road. Uh, that's a really tough place to play. Uh, we know about Cincinnati's defense. They have a couple of preseason all American or at least one preseason all American at cornerback um, and a couple other, you know, really top players on the defense. I know a lot of hybrids aren't Desmond Ritter, but, I personally don't buy that hype. I think the defense of Cincinnati is their strength. Um, and then I'll, it's not to say he's a bad quarterback, but I don't think he's, you know, as, as good as people are making out to see him. But that comes with being undefeated, I guess. Um, but I, I do feel like in terms of a success, like this is what would be successful, not losing a game at home. Uh, it helps that you don't have Tulsa on the schedule. But, you know, regardless of what happens with the conference championship race, and obviously being successful is competing for a conference championship. Um, but if you can win all your games at home and, and in front of a sold-out crowd and, and be in the race down the season, maybe you drop a game against Cincinnati. And I know there's no divisions anymore, so maybe you meet them again in the conference championship or however that works out. Um, you know, winning all your home games, I think, would be really successful. And if there's one loss, I think it'd have to give Cincinnati. And again, SMU is a tough game, and um, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and you know, uh, interesting that you know they got a barn burner right out of the start of the shoot, and I hope people don't lose their minds if we lose that game because there'll still be plenty to play for. Um, so that will be my first point. I would also say that what helps UCF to some degree is you know two of the teams that would be considered contenders for the conference championship have to have new quarterbacks, Memphis and SMU. And, you know, the SMU game you brought up, we, they always give us a tough game in Dallas. That, uh, that has been uh, constant for the last several years. So I think I would agree that, you know, being in the hunt for the conference uh, title would, would be, uh, be successful. 
And I would even venture to say, even if they are not, you know, I mean, as long as they're not 500, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, if it's, if they if they put up eight wins, I I still consider it a, a successful a successful season and a, a step in the right direction. So I'm going to throw a bonus question out there. Uh, this is only partially UCF related. How do you think Mackenzie Milton's season will go at FSU? Adam? <laughs> the first word I want to use is I hope it goes healthy, right? I, I think that's the biggest thing is, is, is he able to play, you know, and, and making sure that he doesn't have any, um, any setbacks. I know there was rumors floating around for some people saying that he was injured, but he looked pretty darn good in some of those practice videos. So hopefully healthy um, is, is the first thing I would say. Second thing is probably profitable, right? I mean, he's, he's been kind of the king of the NIL with De'Ara King. So profitable is the other word I would use. But I, I think it depends on their season, right? He's obviously in a quarterback battle with Jordan Travis, who, you know, had some good moments last year under Novell. But obviously Novell brought McKenzie in for a reason, right, to, to push that. Uh, the, the, we'll, I think we'll know early on because they play Notre Dame early on. And if, if McKenzie looks good and that's a win, uh, you know, I think they're, uh, they're uh, Notre Dame's coming to, to Tallahassee, right? If that's a win, the next games are JSU, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse. So they can easily go on a nice run there with McKenzie and, and get to an undefeated position to play UNC on the ninth. Then they have UMass, which is probably walkover, and then the big one against Clemson. So I think we'll know early on, if he plays well against Notre Dame, they come up with a W. I think you, you ride the hot hand. But I think if for some reason the season goes a little bit sideways, I got to think Norvell goes to the young guys. Uh, you know, there's a couple other guys behind him. I think uh, uh, Chuba Purdy's there. Uh, Tate Rotomaker's there. I think they've got a pretty young, uh, but, um, you know, decorated, quote-unquote, star QB room so i think we'll know early on with notre dame but uh, honestly I, healthy is really how i hope the season goes for casey brandon yeah looking at, at mckenzie milton obviously one of the greatest players if you just look at the last 10 years in college football really one of the most dynamic playmakers that i still feel didn't get the amount of tension that he really deserved for you know almost single i don't want to say single-handedly but you know UCF doesn't have that run without McKenzie Milton. It was Milton. It, I mean, Frost obviously had a, a you know huge hand in that. He recruited him. It was his offense. But, you know, as we see, you know, Frost at, at Nebraska, he hasn't been the same without a McKenzie Milton type quarterback. And just for everything he was able to do for UCF and, and elevating the brand, I just hope that McKenzie gets what he wants to out of this season. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, whether it's, you know, starting and leading FSU to a bowl game or a championship. You know, I don't, I don't know about it. I don't know what's going to happen with FSU. I'm not an FSU expert. I don't know how they've been looking and all that. So I just want him to have that experience, you know, that, you know, he was able to come back from this. He was able to accomplish his dreams and goals of playing football again. Cause you know, who, who really thought he would be anywhere close to this to actually get on the field. Like, you know, when, when the news came out, I mean, I just remember, you know, I always go back to, to thinking about that, driving back on I-4 at night after that game. And, I mean, you know he was hurt. You, you know, you were thinking about, you know, he might have broken his leg, you know, towards ACL. You were just – you were kind of thinking about that. Like, you weren't thinking this could potentially be, you know, he could lose his leg. He could potentially even, you know, lose his life. I mean, there was a, a lot of stuff going on that, you know, I remember I was getting text messages driving back to Orlando, and I'm like, you know, this is – there's some really serious stuff right now. He's in emergency surgery, you know, and, and there's some really serious things where you just wondered, you know, is he going to be able to, you know, keep his leg? And if he keeps his leg, is he going to be able to, to walk, to, to stand up? And the fact he's not only able to do that, that he's, 
in the mix to potentially start at quarterback for Florida State is just amazing to me. And I just hope that, you know, that he just has the into his college career that he deserves because no one wants to see that last moment of his career being on that field in Tampa. You know, I, I can kind of tear. I just kind of thinking about all he went through and, and for it to end like that. I just hope he gets what he wants to get out of and has, you know, a season that he can remember for the rest of his life. Yeah. That was probably the worst trip home from a football game ever that I've endured. That's for sure. Eric. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that this question is even a question. I don't think this would have even been thought of like three when, you know, two years ago, maybe even last year. Um, I'm fascinated. I don't know what to expect because, you know, from what I've read and listened to some of the Florida State people, I mean, they actually have, they actually allow the media watch practice over there, <laughs> which can you believe that, guys? We'll open practice. Uh, they got sent to Jacksonville to, to see some practice. But some people believe that Jordan Travis has been ahead of him. But that Milton has got this experience, he's got that swagger uh, deal. And, you know, Travis is a guy that they have that has also been injury prone himself. I think they're both going to play. Uh, Travis is more of a runner. I think McKenzie's the better passer. I think it's going to be, an, you know, an incredible moment. You know, Brandon talked about it. Maybe McKenzie didn't get the, the limelight that he should have. He, that's going to be taken care of once he steps on the field. I have a feeling they're going to jump on that uh, against Notre Dame or whenever he debuts on the field. I think he's going to be on the field. I don't know what that means, though, and I think a lot depends on this football team for Florida State. They're still in rebuilding mode. I think Adam makes a great point. If this team is like three and four, four and four, I, I just don't know if at that point, do you risk playing more? If can that, you know, can you hold up? Or do you just go to the youngster like a, Ch- a Chubba Purdy at that point if you're Florida State? I think the, there's a lot of variables here. Does McKenzie get on the field? Yes, I do. Does he play the whole year? I don't know. It depends on how that foot holds up. Does it hold up? How does he play? Is he, you know, is he, and the thing that's tricky about him is, just, you know, and I've been and talking to some people in Tallahassee is just when you think like, oh, I don't know if he has it, that next practice or like the spring game, he clicks and he's the best player on the field. So it's still there. I just don't know if he'll be there on a play by, you know, every play like it was at UCF. But the fact that he just steps on the field is, I think, to me, the the movie ending right there that he gets back on the field. Jason. Yeah, I think it's going to be really special to see him do whatever it is. I mean, if he goes out in there and, um, you know, has a stellar season or goes out there and just plays or just goes out there at all for anything, um, there's going to be a lot of – there's going to be no dry eyes at FSU Stadium, I can tell you that, um, and, and across the country for people watching. So I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of buzz and, and rumors and message board stuff circulating this past week about his – you know, maybe he's dealing with, you know, still some injuries from that and uh, some complications from that, and then he goes out the very next day and – has a great practice and um, you know, maybe he's getting some load management as the NBA has created this term with load management. (laughs) I think we'll see a lot of that. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think if anyone knows how to deal with him, it's Mike Norvell. Um, You know, we, we know that Norvell has been on the wrong side of McKenzie's play. Maybe he's the one guy in the world that uh, wasn't happy to see what Milton did in 2017. But at the same time, I think they respect each other. And um, if there's any coach that can, you know, knows how to handle with McKenzie and, and uh, deal with him and understand what he's gone through. It's, it's Mike Novell for sure. So, um, you know, on the field, I absolutely rooting for him like everyone else is. And um, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think like Eric said, he's when he steps on there, he's healthy and he's ready to go. He's the best player on the field. 
Um, and I liked Adam's point about profit. It's awesome to see his face on the big T-shirt and uh, all the all the stuff. And you know, he's he's a smart businessman, getting some black and gold in there in addition to the FSU colors, right? Uh, he's smart. doing some he's doing some signings at the 808 and in the use in Orlando and all that stuff. And if he has any type of success, uh, that'll just continue to uh, improve and uh, continue to increase. So it's it's just great to see him, you know, around and. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised to see it at all, at all. I mean, obviously what is happening is incredible, but to see McKenzie persevere and go through this, I'm not surprised that that's who he is. Yeah. That's a, by, by, by the way, I want to say he's kind of taking a page. Brandon, do you remember George O'Leary? I think he was at one of the touchdown cloud or one of the uh, meetings where he's like trying to get fans to come to the games. And he's like, you know, we want Seminole fans, every Seminole nights. It's okay to be a Seminole night. <laughs> right. I, I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at with McKenzie here. There's going to be some, they're going to be Seminole fans as long as he plays and be night fans at the same time. I think that's going to be something to watch from an Orlando market standpoint, uh, TV standpoint, Brandon. I don't know if do you remember that. Were you there when George said oh, yeah. that? Yeah. He was talking about like Gator nights and Seminole nights. And yeah, I forgot what that was. I think it was like a, might have been like a breakfast at Interlocking Country Club or something. I think that was his audience <laughs> or something because he was dealing with like a lot of people in the room who really weren't UCF people. I think that had to be it. But yeah, he was kind of, I know uh, Ed McKenzie, he kind of unveiled his uh, his apparel line the other day. He got some t-shirts and stuff. There was, but there were too many garnet and gold options on there. I think there should have been a couple, uh, at least of that, that cartoon kind of graphic t-shirts. There should have been more black and gold because I really think you know, the, the McKenzie fans are really the UCF fans. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's had a lot of sales from, from UCF people more so than Florida state. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I just, just really excited for him and just, you know, hope, hope, hope this season is, is everything that, that he, that he dreamed it will be. Yeah. I'm just glad we don't have to market ourselves as Gator Knights and Seminole Knights anymore. They were well beyond that stage. Thank God. Um, you know, it, it will be special to see him play. And, you know, and one of the, the things I just think about Mackenzie Milton is he just has that intangible and it's like able to make something out of nothing. You know, how many times, you know, if, if, his, if, if the passing game wasn't working, he'd use his legs or he'd make these tremendous passes, flipping the ball and, and just making spectacular plays. You know, I hope we get to see some of that this year. And uh, and again, I do echo the uh, statements from Adam that uh most definitely that it all be healthy. That's uh, that's for sure. So uh, before you guys uh, do your shameless plugs, uh, I'm going to throw one out here. Uh, you know, next week on this program, I'm going to debut a ladies' night edition of the roundtable. So uh, I won't tell you who's going to be on, but I will tell you that they are uh, uh, they have strong game in the Twitterverse as part of UCF Mafia. So uh, you'll have to tune in to check that out. So. Uh, and shameless plugs uh, for the rest of you guys. Adam, lead us off. I think I lost my spot already on the next round table. Um, you can find <laughs> me at the Sons of UCF. We have a weekly podcast, usually on Tuesdays, wherever you get your high-quality podcast. And then Thursdays, join us on the internet. Uh, myself, UCF, Mike, and Trey Strelko have Sons UCF Live, 8 to 9 on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Follow us on social media at Sons of UCF, wherever you do your social media. Brandon. Yeah, um, you can find me at uh, UCFsports.com. Uh, site's been around for uh, 20 years now. Uh, always been the biggest and most popular UCF message board, the dungeon. Uh, always a lot of fun in there. Uh, everyone talking about everything going on with UCF. You can obviously find me on Twitter, UCF Sports. And uh, yeah. Eric. 
check his uh, obviously follow follow me on Eric Lopez Eli. I got a lot of different hats I wear, but one of them obviously being at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We cover all UCF athletics, obviously football heavy, but we also just of course men's basketball, which just announced their tough one of the toughest schedules they've ever had in their program history michigan is coming to ucf michigan and oklahoma hello that is enormous uh what johnny dawkins is doing there obviously the fall sports are underway volleyball gets underway this weekend trying to go for a they start their beginning a four peed in volleyball men's we have scott calabrese on the show this week we've had tiffany roberts the haydeck on the show we've had todd dagenet on the show we got all the different guests we write uh on the site and do a weekly podcast there so we'll get you covered on all the ucf shows and we'll have a post game show after all the games uh via night shift on our youtube page so make sure you subscribe to that and jason New plug, <laughs> Sentinel.com. You might have heard of it, this little newspaper. Uh, <laughs> but no, we actually have a new splash page. Uh, if you don't want to go to Orlando Sentinel, then sports, then UCF, allaccessnights.com takes you right to the UCF section of the Orlando Sentinel website, which is pretty cool. At the real BD on Twitter, at OS Nights on Twitter for all the UCF content. And uh, we're, we're going to have some fun things going on. I don't want to spoil too much, but I'm sure there's going to be a little bit more uh, you know, video content and podcast content and all the above that's going to be coming as the season starts. So it's exciting. And by the way, again, congratulations on the new gig. Uh, well, very well deserved. Uh, I'm sure all the guys Thank agree you. with me on that front. And of course, I'll also plug my endeavor, the AAC report on the Nightline Sports Network, where uh, we uh, cover the nights there as well. So Adam, Brandon, Eric, Jason, as always, thanks for being on for year number three of the UCF Roundtable. Thank Always you. a pleasure, boys. Thanks, Jeff. Always enjoy it. Take care, guys. And now let's close things out with a TV theme. theme from I Dream of Jeannie, an American fantasy sitcom that was created by Sidney Sheldon, ran on NBC from September 65 to May 1970, starring Barbara Eden as a sultry 2,000-year-old genie, and Barbara Eden in real life, happy birthday this week, 90 years young. And of course, uh, Barbara Eden as genie, not allowed to show her navel back in the days, was certainly a crush of many. <laughs> Might have been one of the, in the top ten of most beautiful women to ever walk the planet. Show also starred Larry Hagman long before his days as Battle J.R. Ewing on Dallas. He was captain and later Major Tony Nelson, an astronaut uh, that uh, Jeannie fell in love with when his uh, one-man capsule landed far away from the landing site, and he discovers the Jeannie bottle and. And uh, even though he parts with her at that point in the pilot, she manages to roll the bottle into his bag and go home with him. And again, 139 episodes. 
show also starred Bill Daly as Captain and also later Major Roger Healy, who was Tony's sidekick. And he uh, played that kind of dim-witted character, much like he did on Bob Newhart as Howard Borden. And Hayden Rourke was kind of the, uh, kind of the, what, what is it? you don't want to say villain, but kind of the, uh, the antagonist in the show. He was Colonel Dr. Alfred Bellows, who just thought something was off with uh, Tony Nelson and couldn't quite put his hand on why his life was uh, the way it was. And Jeannie, of course, in her efforts to, you know, she fell in love at first sight in her efforts to be with her master as his wife eventually uh, often interfered in his life and the hijinks ensued as she used her powers and whatnot but uh certainly a great show and again happy birthday barbara eden i dream a genie our theme for this week and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk follow jeff on twitter at jeff allen underscore 88 on facebook at jeff allen 88 and the website jeff allen sports and you can reach out to the show anytime by email jeff allen sports talk at gmail.com jeff allen sports talk is brought to you exclusively by kramer's salve for dogs does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.